Good morning. Hey, I'm so glad that you guys are here. Um, this is one of my favorite days of the month. Um, I love nest events. I love being surrounded by a room of women that are longing to be nurtured, encouraged, strengthened, and trained as we raise the next generation of leaders to, be, to love and follow Christ. Like, this is my favorite place. Truly, I love it. Um, but I want to get a feel for who's here. So how many, clearly you all have boys and you're a mom. Um, so how many of you have one boy? Hands high, so I don't really know who you are, okay? How many of you have two? How many have three? How many have four? Any fours? Jessica Pattonaud's not in here. Oh, Kristen, that's my girl. That's, yes, she's my four. Boy, awesome. Okay, and then of your boys, how many have zero to like five, but five being not in kinder yet? Okay, and then how many are elementary, kinder and app? That is really helpful. Fantastic. So it's a joy to be here. So my name, like I said, is Allison Treadaway. I've had the privilege of serving and leading with the Nest for the last 11 years. Um, Up here on the screen is my family, just so you know. Um, These are my my people. Um, Marshall, my husband, I have two boys and a girl. Parker's the oldest. He's 10. Callie is eight. She's in third grade. And then Tucker, giving himself bunny ears because that's what they do at that age, is five in this picture. But now he's in kindergarten. And so that's the stage that I'm in. And when this crew was six, four, and two, so when they were six, four, and two years old, I can't remember this had to, he was six. So he was half of an after school or on a day we didn't have school. Um, but where I live, I live right by like a, um, like a bike trail that goes up and down meandering way. And so we're there. My oldest had just learned to ride his bike with that tricycle or not that, what are they called? Uh, training wheels, um, had just learned to do that. And so we're up there so he can go up and down the thing. My daughter is on her bike, but with training wheels. And then the two-year-old is in the tricycle, the radio flyer thing that has the arm that you push it. And that's how we rolled biking because that's what you do, right? And so by the trail where we live, where we live is our elementary school. And by the elementary school, the trail attaches to this like concrete um, lap area that's about a fifth of a mile. And so it looks like a high school track, but it's not a track, but it's just a walking path, but it's a fifth of a mile. So when you, it's slightly elevated. So when you go up it, when you come down, it's like speed zone, right? And so that's what we do. We go around and we fly down and we go up and we fly down. That's what we did over and over and over. And on this particular day, and we were done with our laps. And I said, I was like, okay, at the end of the, at the end of the hill, it's like, slightly elevated guys, not a hill, but like slightly. The end curve, go left towards home and make sure you stop at the the bricks, which is like the brick path. It's bumpy to tell you that you're getting close to the intersection. And so I'm trailing behind because I, you know how toddlers are on the tricycle thingies. Like they can't steer, like wherever they look, they're going. And if you slightly tilt the thing, so the front wheels are on the ground, then you can control it. Anybody else do that? And so I was there because I was done with it. Keep it centered. Okay, keep it centered. Keep your steering centered, like all the time. And so I had tilted it back and so we can go and catch up. And so they go around and Parker and my daughter coming down the bend and they go to turn and they're, they're racing to see who can be first to the brick road. And my sweet, precious girl is just joyful. And everything, she's just happy to be present and accounted for. And on her amazing bike are the little stringy tassel thingies and the bling, bling, bling. And she's just a going. And the tassels are flowing and the bling, bling, bling the whole way. And they go down the curve. And uh, my oldest, who was six at that time, is next to her. And she gets ahead. 
And I'm like, oh, this is going to be bad. And I look over, or I look up, and he reaches out to that tassel, and he yanks it. And she comes crashing down, and he is off, woo, like celebrating his victory. And I'm like, what the, oh my, you know. So I take, I ditch the toddler and this tricycle, I do. Take off running to her, because I'm thinking broken wrist, broken head, something's bad happened here. And I run ahead and I'm like, what were you thinking? What were you thinking? Like, what was on your mind? Like, why would you do that to her? Haven't I taught you to love and protect her? I just go in lecture mode with an elevated voice that's stern enough that he's, he's just like shivering, like, the evil out of him, like he's shivering. And I look at, and the toddler, by the way, is screaming behind me, because ah! I abandoned him like 50 yards away, but still that's traumatic for a two-year-old. Um, and I look at, and it's a public bike trail, and there's this mama with two little ones, and she's paused. And, and she turns and goes the other direction. And I mean, it was like, oh, oh man, I shouldn't have raised my voice like that, but why would you do that? You know, I was so mad. And I just, I have, okay, guys, let's head home, gather our things. I'm fuming, and we're walking home. And I'm like, what did she think? What did she see? Has she been to the nest before? Does, like, truly, I thought that. Or maybe a friend's going to invite her, and she's going to see me on stage at some point and totally ignore me from that point on because of, I do, that's where my head goes. So we get home, and I am just, like, devastated at the way that I responded to my boy. But at the same time, still ticked at the what he did. And I start with that story, ladies, because I think all of us are longing for some measure. We're longing for some measure that tells us that we're doing it right, that we're doing the right thing, that we're doing good enough, that we're on par, that despite our failures and our flaws, that, that our kids are going to turn out okay. And I, and, and I start with that because I know we're all in the same boat and we've all had, the, I know that every one of you have had a moment like that and it might not look exactly the same, but it's similar enough. And, um, and I've, I've heard it said that extraordinary people come from extraordinary parents. And so what does it look like to be an extraordinary mom? And so that's what we're gonna unpack today in our time together. We're gonna look at 12 ways that we can be an extraordinary boy mom. So in this room, we're specifically talking about the boy relationship with the mother. There's three reasons I wanna cover this today. One, I want you to know that although, since many of you, your kids are, are still in preschool age, um, although I'm a little bit ahead of you, I, I'm still in it. I only have a 10 and a half year old is my oldest. So I'm still in it, um, but I am surrounded on our leadership team with the Nest. We have 11 uh, leadership team members Seven of them um, are what we call, we call ourselves trench moms, meaning we're still in the trenches with our audience. Like we still have kids junior high and younger. Of those seven moms, there's 20 kids. Of those 20 kids, 15 of them are boys. And so I have had the privilege for 11 years of that team. Um, They have all been on that team with me five to 10 years. We have been doing ministry together. And I have had a front row seat to how they are women who love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And they are efforting towards raising boys with a biblical, through a biblical lens. And so one of the reasons I wanted to cover this today is because I have been in a privilege of locking arms with women who are raising boys to be the next generation of leaders. And I want to share with you the things I have learned by being friends with them. The second thing, reason I want to cover this is because our boys are the next generation of dads, of pastors, of leaders, of fathers, and, um, 
and then Matt Chandler gave this um, sermon called Beautiful Design. It was a series, like seven or eight. And he talked, he gave three sessions to the purpose of man, and he gave three to the purpose of women. And then he wraps it up to like, if we live out our purposes together, what that would look like. And in his sermon about men, he says, when men fill the purpose and design of a man as the Bible has outlined it, humanity flourishes. When men refuse to step into the space that men are called to fill, the world burns. You want to look at it economically. You want to look at it sociologically. Just do a secular study of what happens when men refuse to be husbands and refuse to be fathers. Look at what happens. Everything breaks. Everything. When men don't engage the family unit, the family unit breaks down. When the family unit breaks down, the culture breaks down. And so, ladies, one of the reasons I want to cover this today is because our men are the next generation of fathers and leaders. Uh, The third reason I want to cover this today is because parenting is God's plan for passing on his values. And he does it through the home. We look in Deuteronomy 6. We talk about this verse a lot. And in Deuteronomy 6, um, it says, To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and teach it diligently to your children. As you walk, as you get up, as you sit down, as you lie down, and do it all over again the next day. Like he, he longs to pass on his values through the home. And moms are the heart of the home, right? And so you have a very important role where you get to, and I know I'm preaching to the choir here, looking at these faces around the room, like you are the heart of your home. And that is our call that we get to live up to. And so we, um, what is it? what does it look like to be an extraordinary boy mom? We're going to look at 12 characteristics today of an extraordinary boy mom. But before we go into that, what does it even mean to be extraordinary? Um, first, we're going to define ordinary. Ordinary is with no special distinction or feature. It's normal. Extraordinary, though, is very unusual or remarkable. Um, As a follower of Christ, you are making a commitment to be an unusual, remarkable, standout mother. Um, In the context for today, an extraordinary boy mom is not one that is just rocking it is not one that's amazing by the world standards, but extraordinary in the sense of remarkable, as it says in 1 Peter 2, 11, beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against the soul. Proverbs 14, 1, a wise woman builds her home, but with her own hands, a foolish one tears it down. So we're going to look at um, 12 ways to be extraordinary boy mom, extraordinary meaning standing out remarkable amongst our culture. And as Christians, um, I hear my boy all the time, mom, why can't I do blank? Why are you so strict? Why my friends are doing X? Why can't I? And if you are hearing that, or when you hear that, that is a sign that you are doing the right thing. If you are not going with the flow of culture, because that's the flow of culture. Now there are going to be times you do, but they're thoughtful they're thoughtful. And so 12 ways. Point one on your handout, it's two-sided. Um, guys, I, I gave you an acronym to make this easy. So the E in your acronym, which is the first way to be an extraordinary boy mom, is E. Each one is a blessing. Um, each one is a blessing. Ordinary moms remain stuck in wishing they, their children, their boy, was different than they are. They're annoyed at their energy, their destructiveness, their inconvenience by them. Um, maybe wishing they weren't so sensitive or wishing they weren't so loud. So ordinary moms kind of are annoyed at their boys at times. Um, but an extraordinary mom 
sees all their boyness as a blessing for who God made them to be. In Psalms 127.3, it says, Children are a heritage from the Lord and offspring a reward from him. And, and so specifically about boys, each one is a blessing. So often um, the, the gender spectrum is looked at as masculinity and femininity, the scale. And we think our kid falls somewhere on there. But Sue Bolin has taught here at the nest, which that message is listed on the back of your handout to go listen to. She unpacks it for 45 minutes. But she argues and tells um, based on research that the masculinity is a scale masculinity is a scale and you have like your rough and tumble tangle boys and down over here you have your sensitive creative types and so masculinity is actually a scale and then there's a femininity scale so your tomboy which was me your tomboy all the way to your more sensitive female and so as a boy mom an extraordinary boy mom recognizes that there is a masculinity scale and wherever her son falls on it was God's intention and so with the, the rough, tough, tangle boys and them being um, uh, rough and competitive and loud and dirty and filthy, and then the sen- more sensitive boys, those being more sensitive and, and wishing they weren't, um, thoughts like, oh, you're a boy, man up, some of those thoughts that may cross your mind if those of you have sensitive boys, um, like recognizing that wherever God put them on the scale is where God intended them to be, and he has a plan to use them for his kingdom and his glory. Um, Moving on, number two, examine your faith. The X stands for examine your faith. Ordinary moms, faith is more about churchianity, religiosity, um, or maybe it's even superstitious. I heard a gal in my Bible study group say it yesterday or Wednesday. Um, She said she grew up in a Christian home and a Christian school, but it was more of the understanding of um, cover up and show up. And so an ordinary mom sees faith as, as you attend church, you go to it, you, you cover up your flaws and you show up, maybe you pay up. Um, perhaps an ordinary mom is also one that's like, we do these things because that's just what we do. That's the way I grew up. So you're going to do it too. An ordinary mom would look like um, one that's like, man, but, or if we do these things then God's going to bless us. So we have to keep his favor by going and doing, but an extraordinary mom, extraordinary moms model authentic attractive and active faith. Authentic, attractive, and active faith. Second Timothy 1.5 says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Enos, and I am persuaded now lives in you. And so this is Paul writing to Timothy. And what I want you to see here is Paul is saying, Timothy, I'm reminded of your sincere faith that your mom and your grandma modeled. Like that's, like let that sink in. Like mama... And grandma modeled that sincere face. And so an authentic faith would look like one that is genuine, one that is sincere, one that really sees her need for a savior. An attractive faith would look like one that, that um, or your child hopefully would want to mimic because peace transcends you. Because even in your flaws and your terrible moments, you're going back to truth and you're coming back to a peaceful state. Um, a heart that is submitted to that God is good and he's loving. That's what an attractive faith would look like. An active faith is one that is, is actively applying God's truth to her life. Um, it's not one that goes, well, that's just the way that I am. That's my lot in life and moving on. Um, but gets to a place where they're moving forward and allowing God to sanctify them through his word. 
Um, the T stands for teach, don't preach. The third um, way to be an extraordinary boy mom is teach, don't preach. An ordinary mom becomes exasperated when her kids are being kids. Um, an ordinary mom yells at her kids like I did when we were biking because he did the boy thing and pulled the thing and I got upset um, and leaves it there. Um, she preaches, she lectures. She's like, haven't I told you this three times already? And she's frustrated that she's told him again. But an extraordinary mom, mom, one again that stands out in our culture, an extraordinary mom is one that understands the definition of a child. The definition of a child is a young human that is immature and irresponsible person. So your children, zero to 18, and maybe even the 20s, (laughs) are children. They are by definition, irresponsible and immature and telling them three times to not hit your sister is not going to be sufficient, right? Um, An extraordinary mom realizes that it's a marathon, not a sprint. And then she realizes that Galatians 6, 9 says, do not grow weary in doing good for in his proper timing, you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. So an extraordinary mom doesn't just preach she teaches, she recognizes Deuteronomy 6 for the rest of her motherhood. The rest of the time she's called mom, she is going to be shepherding and guiding and pointing. Now, every stage of the game, it's going to look different when they're littler. It's absolutely going to be um, more repetition. And as they get older, it's a different kind of repetition but it's going to be forever. So an extraordinary mom recognizes, man, I'm in it for the long haul. And it's for God's... Um, it is God's job to produce the righteousness or to produce the harvest of righteousness. One of my favorite quotes I've heard recently is our role as a mom, our role is to disciple our children. Our role is to say, this is the way to Christ, to be a roadside point to Christ. The goal of motherhood is not to make disciples because what my child does with the truth I present to them is not my responsibility. My goal is to be faithful. My role is to disciple, to point towards Christ as a Christian mother. But my goal is to faithfully do it. When my children meet their maker, they are going to be held accountable for what they did with God's word, not me. I pray that they receive it and I pray their hearts are ripe for truth. But that's not my goal, right? And so a mom... Um, that is extraordinary, recognizes um, to teach, not preach. Um, So my uh, youngest child, um, example here, my youngest child, Tucker, is the littlest of the group. Like he's smaller, he's tinier. And so when there's conflict, like he just loses because they, the brother and sister are bigger, can steal the toy, can take over, they can dominate. And so he developed this action called shinging, um, it's a new term we coined. It's called shinging. He would go up to them and he'd into their like chest, like shing their arm. And my kids, Tucker shinged me. And I'm like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> What's a shing? And they would describe it for me. And I go, see, and he learned, 
He learned how to do that to protect himself from a tiny age. And so like I had to tell him not once, but twice, not five times, 10 times, hundreds of times, hey, when you're upset, when they steal something from you, what you should do, we don't shing. Instead, we ask, we don't attack, we don't do that. You know, Uh, instead we say, hey, can I have my toy back? And if they don't give it back, what do you do? You go get mommy because she is bigger than them and I can help. So I taught that. And so he's outgrown shinging. Praise the Lord at six. He's outgrown shinging his siblings. But instead now he uses his words to hurt. And so just the other day in the car, my daughter is telling him something that he has no interest in hearing. And he's literally going, blah, 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 blah. As she's like, Tucker, but Tucker, blah, 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 blah. I'm not listening to you. So that's what he's doing. And so it's gone from shinging to now talking over and blah, blah, blahing and using his voice and being annoying. Like he's gone there now. I'm still in it. Like, like as much as I'm like, yes, we're done singing. I'm still teaching him what to do when you're, that's what he does when he feels hurt, when they've done something to him. That's how he reacts and out of his hurt, hurt people, hurt people. And so I've seen that in him. So although I have guided him through out of the singing stage, I'm now guiding him out of how to use his words. He uses them as daggers to his siblings to hurt them because he's hurt. And so I am in it for the long haul. Like, although we've had progress in one area, it's just turned into something else. And so just an example of a marathon. It's not a sprint. Um, Number four stands for, number four, the R, is uh, relational capital. I'm struggling with an R, guys. And I knew I wanted to talk about dating your son, but uh, we came here with relational capital. And what I want you to remember from this point is that your role as a mom um, is to to think about how to relationally build into your child, like to build relational capital. Ordinary moms will fuel the relationship with their son with stuff, They will fuel it um, with tasks, which are good to teach our kids to to do's. But they will also um, have a tendency to focus on the needs improvement areas. And so an ordinary mom really focuses only on the tasks, the to-do's, the things that uh, they need to improve on. But an extraordinary mom recognizes the value of being a student of their son and having a relationship with him that, that takes time, attention, and interest. In 1 Corinthians nine twenty two through 23, it says, To the weak I became weak, to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. And so the point here is an extraordinary mother looks to take note of her son's interests. She listens to their stories. She strives to understand. Even if you don't like to throw a football and your kid does, you might get out there and try you're having him show you how, you're figuring out how to play basketball, what their interests are. You're, it's like a date, like when you dated your spouse. Um, it, it wasn't all about like the, the focusing on the tasks and the to-dos and you didn't focus on what they needed to be better at. When you're dating them, you're getting to know them and their interests and what they like. And, and you might even like, got, like what Elizabeth was saying in the mentor mom moment, like, Think about the things that they like and you're doing those things for them, right? Same thing with our sons. Like relational capital with your boy is gonna go a long way. And I'm here to tell you now that as they get older, you have less of those opportunities. So right now you're like, I really wanna sit on the curb and from the patio and watch you scooter up and down 80 times because you have so much energy, I'm exhausted. And you really wanna sit there with your cup of coffee and have peace and quiet. But I'm here to challenge you to an extraordinary mom 
occasionally, not every single time, ladies, you don't have to be perfect, but you're out there with them, scootering by them, you're racing them, you're timing them, you're, you're engaging in the activity with them because side to side, shoulder to shoulder is, is what boys mostly um, respond better to. So when you're face-to-face, how was your day? Girls were like eye contact. We like to sit kind of close to each other typically. Like we like that relational. But my boys, I have learned, I'm like, how's your day? Meh. Like I got nada. But if I'm throwing a football with my oldest, hey, so how was recess today? What did you do? Oh, mom, at recess today, da-da-da. He goes on, I mean, on and on and on and on. And he tells me the stories, the book, the teacher, like on and on and on. Uh, same thing with my youngest, when I'm side by side with him doing an activity, when I'm engaged, it's just like a fire. Like when you stare at a flame of a fire, like around a campfire and like everyone's staring at it and then like things come out and you're playing a board game that doesn't take a lot of mental equity and people discuss same thing with boys, shoulder to shoulder opens them up. So I'd encourage you to think about their interest and how to get shoulder to shoulder uh, with them. One of my favorite examples of this, of a mom that does this fantastic is Mandy Sisko. She has four kids, three are boys and her oldest is 13. And then she has three boys after that. And she was telling me of this day um, where she Man, she was exhausted after school and all the other kids were playing, but this one son was like, mom, would you have a Nerf, Nerf gun fight with me in the backyard? And she's like, oh my gosh, I don't want to. You know, my sweat, her sweats are still on. Like she's just not into it. And she decides I'm gonna do it. She pulls them up, ties them tighter, gets out there racing around, rolling on the ground. She got filthy grass in her hair. And you know what Riley said to her that night at bedtime? What was the highlight of your day when you played Nerf gun war with me, mom? Like boys just like, they like to be engaged with on a social recreational way. And so relational capital. And here's what I'm saying. I'm giving you examples of my children, um, but you need to be a student of your own kid. What are their interests? What are they like? What are they interested in? Sit down with them, help them build that Lego set instead of watching them do it while you're folding the laundry. Um, Now, I do think there's a time and a place for our kids to realize that life isn't all about playing. Like there are responsibilities that have to take place that mom has to do. But I do think there are times that we can push aside those things to engage relationally with our boys. Um, Number five, awareness likely needs to be taught. The A stands for awareness likely needs to be taught. An ordinary mom dismisses awareness. Oh, he's just a boy. And what I mean by awareness is awareness of others and awareness of themselves. And so case in point yesterday, I'm at Target after school. Why on earth? But I had to size my daughter for her shoes. Her shoes were completely destroyed because I tried to dry them after Halloween and they warped. So she went to put them on the next morning and they were warped and it fit. So she had to wear shoes that were too small to school. So I had to take her because I didn't know what size. So we go to Target after school and my oldest is at overnight, like a field trip overnight. So I had my eight-year-old girl, my six-year-old boy after school, which is just a bad idea all around. But we went anyways because we had to size her for shoes. And so we're there. And you want to know what my six-year-old was doing? He was, he had on pants because it was cold. So he was running and like knee sliding down the aisles of Target. Look how far I can go, mom. And he's sliding and he's sliding. And I'm like, okay, okay. You're gonna lose your Halloween candy. You know, I'm sitting here like, oh my gosh, what are you doing? Calm down. Is this the time? Is this the place? Is this the time? Is this the place? And the thing is like, he is unaware. He is just like seeing the, the wide aisles of Target that I can knee slide down for how long can I go? But my job as mom is to say, hey, look, do you see how you almost knocked over this 90-year-old with a cane? Okay, we can't do that. You know, like my job is to teach him, although his zone is like fun fact, 
factor aisles, I have to help him focus in on be aware of those around him. And so his ordinary mom dismisses, oh, he's just a boy, you know, deal with it. An extraordinary mom helps their boys develop awareness of others helps their boys develop awareness and others. And we're not going to look at a few ways that we do this, but in Philippians 2, 3 through 4, it says, instead of being motivated by selfish ambition or vanity, each of you in humility be moved to treat one another as more important than yourselves. Each of you should be concerned not only by your own interests, but also to the interest of others as well. And so this is the biblical principle of here. Like our goal as boy moms is to help our boys to develop some awareness that they probably need to be taught. And so this looks like um, one of the phrases I use, it's a practical tip around activity. So typically like my question, hey, is this a time or is this a place? So to say never don't yell ever is like not, that's ridiculous. Like boys are gonna, they're gonna need to yell. They're gonna need to be loud. They're gonna need a time and a place for that. But you're teaching them, is this the time and the place for that activity? Whether it's knee sliding down the aisles of Target or um, being loud or wrestling, rough and tumbling, that kind of stuff. Is this the time? Is this the place? The other thing that we need to teach them early is sensitivity. Um, Awareness of sensitivity, meaning how are your words, the lack of your words affecting others? So your words might be to the point and direct and accurate, but be aware of how they're received and did, were they received and though you're being direct and accurate, but did they lack some compassion? Like be aware of the words, how they're received. Also, um, how your lack of words could be affecting others. And so sometimes our boys need to be taught um, to tell the full story. Um, I'll give an example of that in a minute. And then other areas we need to help our boys to be aware is um, some of our boys that are going to be more sensitive. um, They're going to feel a lot about a moment that might not be accurate. And so helping them to go be aware of, hey, do do you believe that is really true of that person? Do you believe that is really true of that situation? Helping their feelings to come down to some reality. And so an example of this of creating awareness, I mean, our children is my six year old. he started kindergarten this year. So the first few days you walk them to their classroom and then, then you have the hug zone right outside the school and they get hugged and go in. And um, where he goes in, he goes in and turns down a hallway and then turned down another hallway. Well, his sister walked with him because she was third grade. So she walked with him to third grade and he kept going down to kinder. So a few days of that, but about two weeks, he was like, I got this. I know where I'm going. And he did not want anybody to escort him any longer. And so he would literally, Callie would walk in and he would wait till she was like ahead enough to where it looks like he wasn't walking in with her because he knew where he was going. Okay. And so fast forward and his cousin, who's a little girl is in kindergarten as well at our school. And so every now and then we run into Maddie and she's like, Tucker, Tucker, Tucker. And cause she wants to go with him, but he literally is like, he's running from her going into the school and she is just weeping. That is so hurtful. And, um, and, and my sister-in-law is like, does Tucker not like, like her? Like, what's going on? I go, nothing to do with her. He doesn't think he needs an escort. And because Maddie wants to walk with him, he's like, no, I know where I'm going. I don't need help. That's what he's thinking. And so I had to sit down with him and say, hey, buddy, why don't you walk in with Maddie whenever she wants to walk with you? And he's like, I don't need her help. I know where I'm going. And I go, oh, yeah, you do. You have no, you know where you're going. I'm high-fiving him. Yeah, you got this down. I'm so proud of you. I go, but you know, I think Maddie just wants to walk with you because she loves you and you're her cousin and she wants to walk with a friend. And he was like, what? Like truly was like, huh? Like he didn't get it. And so a lot of our boys, you're going to have to help create some awareness, some social awareness. And there, uh, many of them are going to be... Um, 
competitive by nature. And some of that stuff, you're going to have to coach them to go, hey, is this the time and the place for, oh, another great example, but I'm not going to go there because of time. Anyways, okay, lots of examples. I got two boys. Um, Number six, the O, owning devices comes only with boundaries. Owning devices will come only with boundaries. An ordinary mom throws her hands up in despair or naivety and just lets her son have all an all-access badge technology. We unpacked this topic in great depth last month. So the podcast is available. It's on our Watermark app. If you search under the nest, you'll see it there. Um, the great one on there. And I don't think I'll list it on your handout, but there's great messages out there for a full in-depth version. But what I want to say about boys on this topic specifically is an extraordinary mom will understand that boys need boundaries with technology to help them develop into the man God wants them to be. Um, there's this disturbing article floating around that's titled The Tech Industry's Psychological War on Our Kids. It says that um, it exposes how gaming and app companies are creating deliberate digital environments where users' basic human drives. So it's creating digital environments deliberately that and um, focus on uh, basic human drives that are to be social and to obtain goals. So we long to be social. We're created to be social creatures and obtaining goals are, are, are instinctive to us, acquiring, having success. And so there are companies out there that are using, deliberately creating these environments where those things are more easily met in the digital realm than in actual life. And so what that means, ladies, is when your child, um, case in point, my youngest has like 45 home runs on Wii U baseball. He's never played a real game of baseball in his life. And the first time he does play t-ball, he's going to swing and a miss that ball multiple times. And when he does strike it, it's going to go that direction often. He is not going to have 45 home runs within an hour of playing. And so what happens in technology It makes it easier. It makes all things easier, which there's a benefit to that. Let's not be afraid of it. But we have to recognize that that's not normal. And so therefore our boys need some boundaries around that because that's not reality. And if they they have too much time with technology, reality is going to be hard. And they're not going to be prepared for that hard. And so um, this is really interesting as I was studying on technology. Um... When our goals are met, so when we meet a goal, a dopamine is a hormone that is released in our brains that elicits the feeling of euphoria, of happiness, of excitement, of I attained that goal. That's what releases. So that means that every time, ding, 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 they get some reward on the app they're playing or the game they're playing, that's, that's triggering that dopamine. And so it's literally gaming and de- technology can be more addictive. Does that make sense? Because it's causing you to release that happy vibe and who doesn't want to be happy? So they're going to go here and that's not setting them up for success in the real life. And so there's a book called Are My Kids on Track? Um, There's also a podcast. I highly recommend it. Um, The podcast is going to be 30-minute sessions. Um, The chapters are going to take longer to read. Um, But it's all about, are my kids on track, how we have, um, there's developmental, cognitive, and physical um, uh, 
milestones our kids reach, like walking by a certain age, saying two words by a certain age, all that kind of stuff. But there's also social and spiritual and emotional milestones in our children that we don't often hear about. And it talks about all of this. And in this book, it talks a lot about how boys have a bent towards escapement traditionally, meaning that they um, they have this longing um, they have this longing to want to be loved, to know they're capable, to know they're successful. And so, and when the real world's hard, they have more of a bent to escape than more of a bent to go. And so with technology and gaming, they can escape really easily and be successful in a realm that in real life is harder. And so just knowing some of these facts about our boys and the way they're wired um, is good for us to know so that we put some healthy boundaries in place for technology for our children. And for 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it says, um, I am allowed to do anything, but not everything is good. You say I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. And so your boys are going to want to do a lot as they get older. They're going to be, they're going to want, they're going to want to do gaming. They're going to want to use technology, watch things, do things, and just creating when they're young, being thinking through what are those boundaries going to look like as they get older. Um, some really practical applications right now for you with littles. Our number one rule in my house is how you react when I say turn it off determines when you get it next. So if there is a, uh, um, the next time is going to be a lot farther in between from this time, right? The length of time will be limited. So their reaction to when I say, hey, it's time to shut it down. I'm reasonable. You got 30 seconds left on your YouTube video about how to do a soccer move. Totally get it. Finish the video. But when the video's wrapped up, let's shut it down. Middle of a show. Totally get wanting to complete things. If there's time truly allocated and we're not in a hurry somewhere, finish your show. But when it's done, we're turning off. And how they react there determines when they get it next. My number two rule um, with technology and boundaries, specifically with my boys, is right now, still to this day, they always have to ask first. So they don't get to go turn on the show or turn on the TV or pick up an iPad to play something without permission first still. And I have an 11-year-old. I'm not sure when we'll change that, but they have to ask permission first still. So it's just two practical rules for you now to implement. Number seven, the seventh way you can be an extraordinary boy mom is our um, realize that respect and responsibility are a must. Raising an extraordinary boy mom, respect and responsibility are a must. An ordinary mom discounts the importance of respect and responsibility. Um, But an extraordinary mom understands the importance of, by modeling it and teaching respect and responsibility. Um, Respecting God, respecting others, respecting property. Um, It's not just a good idea, but it's God's idea. We see in 1 Peter 2, 17, to show proper respect to everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, honor the king. Um, my, my oldest child, when he was in kindergarten, um, he wrote on one of the school walls with pencil, totally erasable. He wrote his name. Parker was here, you know, thought it was real cool. And, um, it was one of those moments was like, okay, let's go erase it and move on. But I was like, you know, like, like if that was spray paint, like that would be a really big deal. And so in that moment, like we went up to the school when I found out about it, we erased it. He had to go then apologize to the principal for disrespecting the property of the school. So like we took it a little bit further. Again, he could erase it. It, it wasn't that big of a deal as far as like graffiti is concerned. But in that moment, I was like, this is a moment 
where we can teach him truly about what it looks like to respect property and respect others that have worked hard to care for this school. Um, the second um, area, respect and responsibility, um, starting blocks, which is the kids' ministry here for zero to five-year-olds. Um, I'm sorry, not in starting blocks, in the elementary ministries. So your K-1 race on your mark, Crossroads 45, or your like kinder through fifth grade ministries, they have a, a term responsibility. When they teach responsibility, they say this, following through with what God has called me to do with my commitments, my actions, my words, and helping others. So responsibility is following through with what God has called me to do. Um, in Galatians 6, it says, be careful, pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done, and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else, for we are each responsible for our own conduct. And so teaching our kids to be responsible for themselves and respectful, responsible for others, responsible for properties, teaching responsibility is really important. And so um, a couple of things, just again, practical tips, in case you don't know, eye rolling is disrespectful. I get that all the time. That's that's disrespectful. Um, uh, Moaning, um, all of that is disrespectful. And so teaching our boys a couple of things from the beginning, that kind of response. Okay, so that was disrespectful, what you just did. Understanding why they did it. Mom, I'm just frustrated. You don't let me, you don't let me, my friends get to play all the time they want on their phones when they get home and I'm limited to 30 minutes. Okay, I totally hear you on that, but there's a way to respectfully respond to me when I ask you to turn it off. And that would look like making eye contact. Yes, ma'am, I understand. Would it be okay if I had a few more minutes? Like how to respectfully make an appeal. I get, as they get older, when they're little, you're training them. But as they get older, they're going to want some engagement in that conversation. And I think that's healthy because you're teaching them how to have a conversation and there's a respectful way to make an appeal. And so teaching your boys, start with when they're young, eye rolling, sighing, whining, that's disrespectful. And so having in our home something from the very, very beginning um, we talked about was um, when you whine for something, you just don't get it. You, You might get to try again, potentially, but when we whine, we just don't to help teach respect and responsibility. Another way we teach responsibility in my home is as they've gotten older um, and they're doing some more things like making their bed, putting their clothes away, dirty laundry, they take it off. Like even young ones, three-year-olds, they take their jammies off and get dressed. They can walk them to the hamper or the drawer or wherever they need to go. And so as you start teaching them some responsibility, I use a tally system in my house. I have a dry erase board that's next to de- my desk that's in the kitchen. And they have their name, Parker, Callie, Tucker, and underlined. And they get 10 tallies. They get a dollar. Nice and simple. They do it themselves. And so like at the young age, it's like, hey, you get a tally every morning if you put your, ha- your clothes in the hamper. Every morning you get a tally when you make your bed. Now, I'm not talking the way I make a bed, but I'm talking it's relatively together. You know, like I'm teaching them these things. They get a tally and they turn in 10 for a dollar and they track it. I have 10 and I'm going to add to my dollar and they have a dollar count. And at some point I pay it out. Or when we're at the store, mom, can I get this three ninety nine thing at the checkout line? You have $5 at home. Yeah. Do you want to spend it that way? Like, it's so great. And if they don't, I'm like, oh no, then you can't. Like it's, it really helps in a lot of ways, but that's one of the ways that I have helped teach my boys responsibility from a young age. Um, number eight or the D number eight or the D is she directs her son to love and protect others. She protects, she directs her son to love and protect others. An ordinary mom is more concerned about how he feels and is cared for by others, but an extraordinary mom is also helping teach her child, um, 
to love and protect others. Um, anyone's husbands like the movie American Sniper? Anybody? Or, or you like it, American Sniper? Okay, great. Um, in that movie, there's a quote, and the dad is talking to his two sons, who the two sons had gotten into a fight um, because turns out one of the sons was protecting the other son that was protecting another kid that was being bullied. And they got in a fist fight and got in trouble at school. And the dad says this, there are three types of people in this world, the sheep, the wolves, and the sheepdogs. Some people for per prefer to believe that evil doesn't exist in this world. And if it ever darkens a doorstep, they wouldn't know how to protect themselves. Those are the sheep. Then you've got predators who use violence to prey on the weak, i.e. the bully that was bullying the little boy that was weak. Those are the wolves. And then there are those blessed with the gift of aggression and overpowering need to protect the flock. These men are the rare breed who live to confront the wolf. They are the sheepdogs. And he goes on to say, like, your call is to be a sheepdog, to protect and love others. And guys, that's scripture, um, to protect and love others. In 1 Corinthians 16, it says, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, and do everything in love. Micah 6, 8 says, um, he has shown you what is good, O mortal one. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. So calling our boys to protect in a loving way is our standard. I started that when my little, my oldest was two and my daughter was born. Very simple. Your job with Callie is to, uh, what do I say? To love and protect. Is that love and protect? Yeah, to love, sorry, God, wow. To love and protect. Your job is to love and protect her from a little age. Now at school, your job is to love and protect your little sister and your little brother. I am calling my children, my boys, to love and protect those around him. Um, my son, my oldest, um, he, he has gotten in trouble for loving and protecting and standing up. Um, the other day in class, there's a little boy that he has... Um, I'll cry when I talk about it. He is befriended and um, that is autistic and, um, but high functioning. So, um, so kind of the other kids probably don't know that there's more there going on with him. And, but, but Parker has caught on to it and this boy is older and, um, in the grade and he has really befriended him. And it's been really sweet seeing how my child having a younger brother is still into superheroes. And some of the things that his peers have outgrown, mine still gets because he is a little brother. And this young man that's amazing and that is autistic, um, uh, has some of those same interests. And so gets, gets taunted a lot because his interests, most of his peers have moved on. And um, my, my little boy the other day stood up for him in class and the teacher had stepped out and the kids were just making some loud noises and it bothers this young man and they kept on. And, um, and my little boy was like, hey, that's bothering him. You should stop. He's asked you politely to stop. You should honor that and stop. Like he's standing up for him. And, um, and by God's grace, the teachers handled it really well. Um, like I, I was proud of how it went down. He lost some relational equity and social equity with some of those peers at school. Um, but at the same time, I said, Betty, you are developing rewards in heaven when you stand up for those that are being bullied. And so we need to teach our boys to love and protect those. Ways you can do that um, is simple. Hey, who do you know in your, who around you is, do you think is sad today? With little siblings at home, hey, do you think she's sad? How can we help make her not sad anymore? Just saying like, and, and, and get into elementary or junior, who in class today do you think you can 
think needs a hug or needs help, like spurring them with questions and asking them to be aware in ways, hey, baby brother's crying. What do you think we can do to, to help baby brother? Like engaging him in those conversations. Oh, I think he needs a diaper change. Let's go do that. Like bringing him along to seeing their kids and being aware and loving and protecting their siblings. Um, it starts there. The I in our acronym for an extraordinary boy mom, the I is remember that independence is um, the independence from us and dependence on God is your ultimate goal. You're raising boys that are going to be long-term independent from you, but transitioning that dependence on God. That's your end goal. That's your, um, that's your target is dependence on God. Um, and have y'all heard of the term? We grew up with the term of helicopter parenting. There's a new term called lawnmower parenting. Has anybody heard this? Lawnmower parenting is, which is our generation of the ones that are a little bit younger than me. It's called lawnmower parenting. When we try to pave the way and make the path easier for our kids, we're calling the teachers and wanting them put in a special class. We want to make sure they're with their peers on the bus or in the classroom. We're like, they, they don't make the grade. This is the, they don't make the grade to play in the game on the weekend. So they go tell the teacher that, Hey, change their grade so my kid can play. Um, they're concerned about the self-esteem, so concerned about the self-esteem of your child um, that they try to do everything they can to make sure they're not discouraged or disappointed or feel sadness. Uh, When we do that, our boys are not prepared for the real world because the real world is not looking out to make our life easier. That is not the goal of the real world, right? And so um, that's the term lawnmower parenting. And so an extraordinary mom realizes that they're raising men And they wisely embrace opportunities to help them learn responsibility, to develop perseverance, and to become hard workers. In James 1, 2, it says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And endurance, may it have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Our goal is to allow our kids, like when our kids are experiencing hardship, it's so much our nature to go and fix it and make it better because we love them and we want them to be happy. We do. But there's a time when you start transitioning them to go, man, if they don't experience hardship, they're not going to be prepared for when it really comes. And so my oldest broke his foot last week and it's been, guys, I've been reading this kids on track, preparing for this and he broke his leg. And I have had so much good content in the last week just happened in my home, raising boys who broke his leg. So he is at 10, fully independent when it comes to taking care of himself, getting ready for bed, showering, packing his lunch, all these things. Well, now he's not because he broke his leg. That means he's on crutches. So that means he needs help with everything. And so in this process, when he broke it, I immediately was like, I'm going to email the teachers. He's going to need to have help at school. I'm starting to go. He needs to have help at school. He's going to need help carrying his stuff to and from transition. What about recess? What about PE? What is he going to do? Like I'm literally as a mom, like, how is this going to impact his day? And I wanted to jump in and just make it as easy as possible because he broke his foot. Like, oh, it's terrible, you know? And then I stopped and I paused and I said, hey, Parker. He's 10. He's fifth grade. He knows. And I said, hey, buddy, what do you think um, would be helpful at school while you're on crutches? And he goes, oh, I'm totally going to need a helper. I'm going to need someone to help me with my backpack. Um, but I think that it, and he, I just engaged him. Like, what do you think you're going to need? And then we reached out to the teachers. So my instinct was to get in there and make it all better because he broke his leg, right? 
But then I was like, wait, he's old enough. What does he need? So I brought him into that conversation because long term, I'm trying to help him be independent and to think forward on what he's going to need. He's had a ton of hard things with this broken leg situation. He's missed out on a ton. It's been really hard, but I've gotten to point him to like, the friends in his life that have even harder circumstances, a boy in their grade had brain cancer last year. I know devastating fourth grader had brain cancer. He is recovering. And I'm like, Hey, I know this stinks right now. You're six weeks on crutches, but think about Jimmy. Think about what he's had to go through and helping him to see, like, my goal is to help him to depend on God when he is experiencing hard, um, and New Morning Mercies, it's a devotional by Paul David Tripp. It's my hands down favorite one. If you need a daily quick read, um, it is gold. I would recommend it. And he says this, he says um, in one of the, the devotionals, it says, work is not a curse. It is our created identity. One of the reasons we were put on this earth is to care for the physical world that God made. It is true that um, the work that we are called to do in submission to the one who made us has been made more difficult because we now labor in a broken world. But before the, before the fall of the world, Adam and Eve still had to work. Before sin, Adam and Eve were created to work until the gardens. And so we're creating in our boys, like there is a natural, like to work and hard work and labor is an important thing. And in order to do that, they have to experience the hardship and they have to learn to lean on God when it gets harder than they can tolerate, right? Um, Some practical ways to do this is as you can ask them how you can um, not do things for them. But there are things when they're young, you're doing for them, you're anticipating needs. But as they get older, you bring them into those conversations. Hey, what would help you? What would make you more comfortable? What can I do? Like you're engaging them in those conversations on the way. Number 10, the N, number 10, the N, um, a mom that is extraordinary navigates discipline consistently, calmly, and with care consistently, calmly, and with care. An ordinary mom hopes that time and age will bring about change. But an extraordinary mom sees the value of discipline and implements a strategy. Consistently means um, it's not, you hear Millie Hale tells us all the time, it's not the um, severity of the consequence, it's the certainty of the consequence. So regarding discipline, it's not, in my experience, it's not necessarily always a severity. Sometimes you do have to ratchet it up to get, to correct them and get their attention. Um, but I would say that it's not the severity more often than it's the consistency. And so think of the, yeah, consistency, um, calmly, um, meaning not in anger. I want you to visualize an unemotional referee. A referee's job is to show up. There's a rule of the game and his job is to implement the rules and to make both teams adhere to the rules. And so he knows going in the plan. He knows that foul is a five-yard penalty. He knows that stepping out of bounds, you get to now throw the ball in or you get to do it. He knows the rules of the game. And so I want you to think of that as an analogy when you're disciplining your boys. I want you to think about, hey, I'm a referee. I'm unemotional. And it's like, hey, um, we don't whine for things we want. So because you whined... Um, you don't get the sucker. And it's just like, and we move on, right? And so we're unemotional. We're not engaging. We're not going toe-to-toe with them. We're not minor arguers in my family. And so I'm not engaging in the toe-to-toe. But mom, you said, well, I said, if you stop whining, then you're going to get it. You know, like instead of getting in there with them, instead I'm an unemotional referee and I'm consistently and I'm calmly, I'm not in anger. Um, I, at times you might need to use a stronger tone of voice to, um, 
to help them understand the severity of something. Like when my older boy pulled the tassels on the bike, it's appropriate to say, that was not okay. Do you understand why? It is, it's okay. Hey baby, that's not okay to do that. That doesn't, that doesn't give, you know, proper, like this is a big deal, but we don't have to use our voice to, um, to scare them. That's not the goal. You might have to raise your tone, but it's with calm, it's calm and it's with care. It's calmly and it's with care. It's with intentionality with our boys. Um, Hebrews 12, 11 says, no discipline sees pleasant at the time, but painful. And later on, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So again, keep in mind the end game, the long-term game, not the short-term game um, when you're raising your boys. 11, um, out of the 12 ways to be an extraordinary boy mom, the 11 is the A, she asks for forgiveness frequently. She asks for forgiveness frequently. An ordinary mom believes it. She's the adult, so she doesn't owe her son anything, not even an apology. But an extraordinary mom models humility by asking forgiveness frequently. First John 1 8 says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. An extraordinary, um, I missed, I stole this from, um, if on the back of your handout, uh, is it on the back of your handout? There's a sermon that Jonathan McCluda, our campus pastor here did called 10 ways to be an extraordinary parent. It's phenomenal. Um, it, they're, they're different than this list except for a couple. Um, but in it, he talks about asking for forgiveness frequently. And he says this extraordinary parents still make mistakes but they own their mistakes. Ordinary parents don't make mistakes. They're too prideful to see them, to own their wrongs. The humblest young adults I know often learn humility from parents who modeled it by asking for forgiveness. Asking for forgiveness turns mistakes into memorable, teachable moments. When, the, when was, is the last time you've asked your child for forgiveness? If a month has gone by, it's probably too long. And so like, like leading out and asking your children for forgiveness when you wrong, when you act out in anger, when there's something, there's a check in your spirit of, man, I botched that, is going back to them and like, hey, would you forgive mommy for the way that I raised my voice? I know that that was unkind and unnecessary. Would you please forgive me? Modeling that for our boys, an extraordinary mom is humble and asks for forgiveness. Um, It was really interesting the other day, my oldest, um, he was pretty emotionally worked up. And for him, um, that looks like anger and frustration was just brewing out of him. And he gets real um, harsh. He gets real, I call it venom. You're spewing venom with his words at everyone around him, everyone. And, um, and I'm like, hey, we don't deserve to be being taught to like this, you know? And what happens is he does that and I just want to bow up. I want to be like, oh yeah? And I do, like, I want to engage in him. And like, you are not going to treat us this way. And I want to engage in him. I do, I'm sinful, I'm fallen. And that's what I do when I bow up. And then we go toe to toe. And then the next thing I know, I'm arguing with a 10 year old. Like how immature am I? And so I have all of this, my husband knows, my community goes and just like, hey, how do I parent who I'm primarily with all the time, my boys who are strong personalities and aggressive and um, competitive and longing for independence. Like, what do I do here? And they were just like, hey, you need to be more of a ref. Like, and he does that. You need to calm down. Like you're going up. You need to come down. And so I've learned to say, hey, the way that you're acting right now, I can tell you're upset and you're hurting those around you. And so you don't hurt anyone further and make more damage. You need to go to your room. And he goes to the room and he can chill it out. And then when he's down off that and we come back together, um, you know what he told me the other day? I asked for his forgiveness because I was bowing up 
so immature. Um, I asked for forgiveness and I said, in those moments when you're so upset, what would be more helpful? And he goes, mom, when I'm doing that, (laughs) gets me every time. He goes, mom, when I'm doing that, I'm just saying that I need you to comfort me. And I go, that makes a lot of sense. Like he was mad about a lot of things in his day that weren't going right in his world, in his 10-year-old world. Um, but I see as like, it's no big deal. Like you're gonna be fine. But, but it's real to him. And then he starts spewing on us. And so then we go here and instead, he's like, when I get that way, I just need you to comfort me. He's old enough to articulate those things. So it's so helpful when they're little or they're not. But be aware when they're asking um, when you model forgiveness, when I model, when I went to my kid and asked for forgiveness, we were able to get to a healthier place. Um, when we asked for, I asked for forgiveness from him. Number 12, um, 12 ways to be an extraordinary born mom. The R stands for remember it's by grace. It is grace that makes you an extraordinary mom. It is grace that makes you an extraordinary mom. Extraordinary mom. An ordinary mom thinks that when her kids are rocking it, she is the stuff. And an ordinary mom thinks when her kids aren't rocking it, that it's all her fault. An extraordinary mom, an extraordinary mom realizes it's by grace alone that makes her extraordinary. And any good that is in her kid is God's grace in her life. It's God's grace in her life that she had the wisdom to guide them. It's God's grace in her life that her kids had a heart that heard and listened and is applying. Any good that comes from our kids is God's provision. And you just got to be a conduit for that. Um, uh, My mother-in-law and my mom, when they have kept our kids for an extended period of time, um, I've often heard from them, man, like they're so respectful. They did this really well and did it. I've gotten some good reports at times, not always at times. And in those moments, my heart is like, oh, mom, I am so thankful that they, they listened for you. They obeyed well. They're respectful and kind. And please know that it is by God's grace in my life and their life that they're heeding the instruction. And I had the fortitude and it was connected with the Lord enough to guide them in that way. Like anytime that, that compliment comes, it's like, oh, that is God's grace in my life and in my kid's life. And so a note on this, um, Jonathan says this, Jonathan McClure in his sermon on extraordinary parenting, he says this, sometimes great homes produce prodigals that haven't returned. Obedience is not always defined by the outcome. We take too much credit when our kids turn out well and we take too much blame when they don't. Israel had the best father anyone could ever ask for in God, but they still rebelled. And so moms, I want you to sigh a sigh of release. And remember your job is to be a road sign pointing to Christ and to be faithful. And Isaiah 1, 2, it says, I reared children and brought them up, but they rebelled against me. There is a chance that, that your kid, you, you might do all the right things and they might not submit to, to the Lord. And in that, you need to hear that, that God is in control of the harvest, right? God is in control of the harvest, and it is his grace that makes you extraordinary. And just because a child might not be acting the way you want them to in the moment, it is God's grace that makes you extraordinary, not that kid that's defining you. And there's a why. Extraordinary has thir- 13 letters, but this is 12 ways to be extraordinary, born mom. But the why I wanted to end with, it's super important, is that you are God's gift to them. I want you, to, if you remember anything I say today, anything I say today, I want you to hear this. You were handpicked by God to raise that boy or boys in your life. 
you. You are a gift to them. There's not a better mama out there. Now, you can learn from God. You can learn from his word. You can learn from other women around you to help guide and shepherd you to raise them. But you are their gift and provision. 1 Corinthians 13 or 11.1 says, follow my example as I follow Christ. You are their example and you are their provision. And do not forget that you are extraordinary only because God um, because of God's grace in your life. And so um, that day we came home and I had a reset. And when the, the, the bicycle thing happened, uh, came home, sent everyone to their rooms, one down for a nap, da, 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 came into the Lord and was like, okay, God, and just sat there and like, what am I doing wrong? Uh, you know, and just sat there and just repented to the Lord for my anger, confessed it there, sought forgiveness, thought through what do I need to be doing more with my kid to help them to, channel that competitiveness and not reach out and knock his sister over, all of those things. And um, in that time, the Lord reminded me in that time that it's not about being perfect. My role as a mom, we all want to measure, right? We all want to measure. And we have this measure of perfection in our mind. And, and he reminds us it's not our job to be perfect like Christ. It's our job to be perfected by Christ, our job is not to be perfect like Christ. Our job is to be perfected by him in the process. And so in case you missed any of them, extraordinary stands for E. Each one is a blessing. Um, examine your faith. Teach, don't preach. Relational capital. Awareness likely needs to be taught. Owning devices needs boundaries. Respect and responsibility is a must. Direct your son to love and protect others. And so on. And